Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp with the golden guru of replanting, as always, the beautiful below average Bob Bickford. <laughs> Thanks, Jimbo. I, I've got to come up with some nicknames for you, but I, I I don't think with a name like Jimbo, you need any nicknames whatsoever. I think it's just Jimbo, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that's it. And, you know, it's interesting, the responses I get. I've done a lot of foreign missions, and I have learned that Jimbo is a humorous name, Everywhere in the world, no matter where you go, ex- except for the deep south, it's it's Jimbo is a name that always gets a reaction. My favorite, I believe, was in Kenya, because in Kenya, in Swahili, the way you say hello is Jumbo. Yes. And so you would introduce yourself, and I would say my name was Jimbo. And every time, who, no matter how big the crowd I was standing in front of, they would always laugh and then in unison go, Jumbo, Jimbo. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been in Kenya as well, Jimbo. That's we share that in common. Okay, I was there in uh, 2007. So you were what three three years old in 2007? Is that about how old you were? I think I was there in 2007. Really? All right. Well, wouldn't it have been something if we had been there at the same time? Who knows? It might have. We should probably set the figure those dates out exactly at some point. See if we were in. Kenya at the same exact time. <laughs> we should. We should. I think that's very worthy. That's very worthy. <laughs> no, I think I was actually there in 2003, not 2007. I was there in 2003 and in 2004. Okay. Went twice. But yeah, 2007. I was already a two-time veteran by 2007. So That's amazing. That is awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> All right, man. Look, I'm excited, Bob. We have a guest with us, a listener with a question, which is one of our favorite kinds of episodes to do. And so uh, we've got Christopher Lee from New Jersey, and you said Highlands Community Church? So another community church. Highlands Community Church. And so, man, we're so excited. Man, introduce us, our listeners to you and your church and share your question with us. Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, Christopher Lee. My wife, she's not with me right now, but she's back at the house. Her name is uh, Kristen. So we are serving here in Galloway, New Jersey at Highland Community Church. We serve through an organization called Village Missions. Uh, So I've been listening to you guys for a while, and one of the questions that I had for you was, and I'm going to read off what I wrote so I can ask exactly the way I asked it. I said, I'm a replanning pastor. Question, how does a small church who has been hurt by past shepherds, move on into the next season? Man, fantastic question. And I think that is so true for for many churches that are in need of revitalization or replanting, right? Somebody's come in there, or maybe it's been a long time pastor. They've had a lot of conflict. And I think this is pretty true. And Jimbo, you might be able to, to share this as well. But most churches that we do consultations for that have had a couple of decades of decline have had some crisis moment in their life, whether it's a, a forced termination that's taken place or maybe a shepherd that's not gently led the sheep or some kind of church split. 
And so that all of that creates a lot of trauma within the local congregation. That's been my experience. Yeah, I would agree. I think that there's almost always something. And here's what I would say, why this question matters even beyond that. If you're doing a replant, here, here's one of the things we have to acknowledge. Uh, I, I, I laugh. I shouldn't laugh at this. When you are replanting a dying church, you're already wounding and creating trauma. <laughs> in addition, new trauma. You are. I mean, if you think about, I mean, and, and that's why I shouldn't laugh at this, but if you think about it, if 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 you've been going to the same church for 40 years and there is a way that you have always done things and you've become emotionally attached to that, it is super scary and difficult for some new guy to come in and start changing a lot of things. And so really, I think ultimately this question, Christopher, boils down to how, how do we build trust, right? And, and that's, that's, would you agree, Christopher, that's kind of what we're asking? Yeah. So you're, you're, yeah, that's exactly what we're asking is how do you build trust and then, you know, move into that next season and that next uh, direction of the church? Yeah. Christopher, how long have you been there at the church? You might have mentioned that in the introduction, but just to clarify again, how long have you been there? Yeah, so I came in uh, late February of 2021, and they were without a pastor since July of 2020, but having had uh, about four other pastors before me. Yeah, and those guys were there short term, I'm guessing, probably. Uh, yeah, one guy was there. Uh, so village mission pastors. One guy was there 27 years. Uh, the last guy, he retired. The last guy, four years. And just some situations unqualified him to uh, remain in the position. Yeah. Well, man, I, I one thank you for answering the call to go to a, the Northeast and pastor churches where pastor a church where there are not many churches uh, often, and then also stepping into a difficult situation. So I just want to thank you for answering yes to that call and um, looking forward to processing the, these questions. So Jimbo, why don't you lead us off in terms of? How does a pastor in that kind of situation regain trust and help the church move forward? Yeah. And so one of the things you said, Christopher, that I appreciate is you said, how do we how do we build the trust and then move forward? And, and I would say, man, I just appreciate that you put it in that order because that is how it's going to have to happen. I, I can't remember who said it first, but there's a phrase I've heard a lot of times that trust is the currency of leadership. In, in other words, that this is this we spend our trust in order to lead change. That's the currency that it takes to to make that happen. And so, one of the things we say in leading change in a congregation is that change moves at the pace of trust. So, I think that one of the first things we have to recognize is, if especially if you're dealing with people who are who have been trust has been betrayed, they've been let down, they've been hurt you're asking them to change things, man, at first it's going to be slow. We see unity as one of the heart cries of scripture, right? We see in the high priestly prayer, it's what Jesus prays for. He, when he says, how will people know that uh, you are my children? They'll know that you're mine by this, that you love how you treat each other and love each other. In Ephesians chapter four, which is one of my favorite chapters to go to, to talk about church revitalization, we see that we must make every effort to maintain the unity of the body. So I would say before leading a lot of change, it's going to take a while to build trust. 
Uh, and so just recognizing that and not coming in and making a lot of changes real fast is probably one of the one of the wisest. I'm not even going to say it's not a step, but kind of your posture of understanding, man, this is going to probably take a minute before they're going to trust me. I was blessed that my wife is uh, was a pastor's kid growing up. And so she has become like my guide into this world. And, uh, and she teaches me a lot. And one of the things she taught me was that you, you won't gain trust in the pulpit. You'll gain trust at hospital bedsides, at funerals, doing weddings, doing marriage counseling, and those sorts of that's, that's It's those scenarios a lot of time. When you, when you walk people through something is a lot of times where you'll gain trust. And I would say that's, that has proven true in my experience. Yeah, I like that. And I think that that's an ongoing work that's not just a one step and done, right? So I think that that's so important. One of the things I think that is important is when you're dealing with a traumatized congregation is I think you need to understand the story behind the trauma. And so part of that is, like Jimbo mentioned, your your insight into the condition of the church and the experience of the people is actually going and sitting with them and asking good questions questions not to dig up dirt, so to speak, or to have them relive the trauma, but questions that say, hey, what's been hard about the last several years here at the church? And to try to talk on that 60,000 foot level in terms of understanding, not the specific instances necessarily, but I think allowing people to go there if they want to go there. But I think the the betrayal of trust as a whole or the, the, the crisis that occurred in the church you need to understand some of the history of that because here's here's what happens. Everybody that experiences change and everybody experiences that new leadership, they're looking at you through that filter and lens of hurt, right? And so you might not mean to do something or trigger somebody in some particular way, but if you make a, a comment or you decide to lead in a particular direction or if it's even the right thing to do that was similar to what the previous shepherd did or previous shepherds that did, that felt like harm to the congregation. Those are sort of landmines that you just have to understand where they are and what contribute to them. So I think one of the things I would just recommend, Christopher, is sitting down with folks and just processing that, not to drudge up the past necessarily, but just to understand where their sensitive places are and where they might be hurt. Yeah. I think in that, it's important to uh, make sure you empathize with with their pain. You hear them, that they feel heard, but you don't villainize anybody from from the past right this is it's not your job to condemn anybody or to to you know if there are going to be moments where they may want to they may want to either they might either romanticize the past or maybe they really like a certain guy and so they want to overlook things and so try not to do that but also they they may feel very hurt and so they may want to just bash somebody and just be careful not to ever villainize anybody. It's, it's never our job. We always need to be making sure we're helping people move forward. And so pastoring them through their fear, pastoring them through their pain, but gently and kindly challenge them to kind of take some steps forward in faith and, and saying things like, man, I, I hear you and I recognize how difficult that was. And I also want to recognize how scary this idea of replanting must be for you and and change and leadership. And do you trust someone again? And I get that. And so here's what I'd say is encourage them, say, I, I'm not, I would love for you to trust me, 
but here's the deal. It's possible that I could let you down as well. But here's what I know you can trust. I know that we can trust the word of God, right? I know that we can. And so create a process of leading primarily through the word of God. So, so recognize, listen to understand, recognize their pain, recognize their hurt, recognize the betrayal, empathize without villainizing, but then encourage them to move forward, not in, hey, you need to trust me because I'm the pastor, but hey, here's what we can trust is the word of God. And here's what I'll commit to. I'll commit to do the best I possibly can to lead this church through the word. And if I do that, will you agree to go with me? And let's do this together. And let's not stay in the past. Let's not stay in these things that have happened. But if the word guides us, let's move forward and see where the word is taking us and and use that as the primary form of change leadership. Well, I love that. Hey, Jimbo, permission to tell a story to make an analogy. Of course. Absolutely. Right. Permission of privilege required. Okay. Or granted. Is it required or granted? Okay. All right. Granted. So... So uh, you guys have stayed at our house, Jimbo. So you, you've yes. met our old dog, uh, Romeo. You've oh, met yeah. about him. And, uh, and this is true. You can Google it and you can, you can verify this. But the majority of dogs that are left at the pound or the APA that are not adopted are dogs that are dark or black, right? And the reason being is because they're scary. People don't know how to read them. They don't know how to, like, they can be intimidating, right? They're, that doesn't mean they're a mean dog, but it's just that's kind of the association. So we when we started uh, inviting people over to our house after we got our, our puppy, um, he was the friendliest guy. He's an old guy now. He just kind of lays around as Jimbo's kids just experienced that when they were visiting in October. But you can see it when somebody comes in and they encounter him, they they pause and they're like, whoa, wait a second here. Like, is he, is he mean? Is he kind? What is something going to happen here? You know, and that sort of thing. And we're just like, he's an old dog, right? He's a friendly dog. And we just need to, to, you know, get some experience and some exposure to him. And once you're around him, you'll see that he's a kind and loving, you know, person and or not, not person, but he's a dog. Um, so in the same way, I think, people are trying to check out the new pastor. And so you've been there for just a few months now, you know, a little while, and they're trying to figure you out, right? (laughs) Is Christopher a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he like, what, is he trustworthy? Is he, how does he lead? Does he listen? You know? And so um, one of the challenging things is, man, you are, you're being watched all the time about how you interact and how you walk among the people and so I would just encourage you, as much as possible, be around as many people in the in as many different settings as you can to let them know who you are and to let them know your heart and to let them see your love for the church, your love for God's kingdom, his word, and your love for the people. Um, because some people, when they're wounded, they're afraid, they're afraid to get close to the pastor. They're afraid to connect with the pastor again because... They're not sure. And so part of that is overcoming a lot of the past in terms of what's happened that you have no responsibility or fault for, but your relationship with people and your exposure and your relationship with them in a variety of settings, I think would help uh, diffuse any kind of preconceptions that they might bring into the, the relationship. Well, speaking of preconceptions, uh, you talk about, you know, the stereotypes of the dogs, the big black dog. 
uh, I actually heard recently, Christopher, and, and everybody can't see this, but uh, you you are a bald man. Oh, yeah, bald and proud. <laughs> there are some studies out there that show that that bald men are automatically perceived as more intense and dominant. Uh, and, and so like, uh, you, you already have a, like this dominating intense feature. I mean, I'm not picking up that vibe. You seem like a real chill dude. Uh, but that's what the research shows is that as a bald man, you already have this like intensity to you. So are you suggesting like a hat or did he get like, yeah, yeah. well, I I use a Like, what do you, what do you suggest? Oh man, own it. Own, be, look, be bald and be bold and be proud of it. We're bald and bearded and big. So I got all the three B's, man. There we go. I love the Bible, so I had the fourth one in there. Oh, I'm sure we can come up with more. And he's got a baritone (laughs) voice, man. That's right, man. Now we got four. He does. Big, bald, bearded men can come across so dominant. So no, don't you don't have to wear a hat, but just be mindful of how that how that could be how that could be perceived. And so, uh, how how is all of this kind of sitting with you so far, uh, Chris? Yeah, so it's good. So, um, you know, I don't know if this will help anybody or not, but um, one of the things my wife and I realized too is that you know we're coming also out of COVID, so you know we had everybody locked down. So I think that plays a role, you know, with a lot of us out replanning or in revitalization, no matter the stage that we're coming out of COVID. Uh, so with that, my wife and I said so we have to come in here, and immediately we got to start fellowship activities. I said, everything else can, it'll come, but that fellowship piece really has to be there. Over time and over prayer, you know, God gave me this, um, you know, these words, I think I found them within scripture. It says that we're going to do life together and we're going to do life in Christ. And with that, I said that life together piece, that's going to be the, and this is what I've been preaching and, and telling my congregation. I said, we're going to do life together. We're going to be involved. We're going to be intentional with each other. We're going to get to know each other over coffee, over games, you know, whether we watch the Phillies, you know, beat up my nationals, you know, (laughs) you know, it doesn't matter what we're going to do. We're going to do life together and then we're going to do life in Christ. And that is the uh, discipleship aspect, you know, so we, uh, we got strong going with our midweek study, uh, which my co-elder here has uh, really been good and, he started that before I came. So, you know, I praise God for that. So, you know, we're capitalizing on those things. We're capitalizing on uh, just recently issued a 90 day challenge to the congregation to uh, let's read the New Testament together. So we're doing that life in Christ piece together. So I think over time, you know, that trust in those relationships will build. But one of my pastors back in Carolina said, you know, this is going to be a 12, 18, 24 month your work just to build that trust. So that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that's good wisdom that you have received there. Uh, that life, I love that life together. You pulling that from Dietrich Bonhoeffer? A yes. little, little Bonhoeffer yes. throwback there. I like sure that. So one of the things I, I think is important for us to understand is that trust is built by, cons- by a consistent display of your character and your competency. And and so it's I think it's it's good to know people need to know that they can trust your character. But they also need to know that they can trust your competency as a leader, that that you that you have a a direction, a vision from the Lord like that. And you know where we're going and, you know, and that the Lord has equipped you 
to get us there. And I think some of that is displayed, your character is displayed in, in, in being caring and in your humility and in, in an openness and a vulnerability and transparency. Um, and I think having your integrity, uh, being, being a person of good integrity displays your character as well. But I think your competency shows in the skills that you have, the education that you have, the knowledge and experience and uh, your credit. It gives you credibility. And when we can bring a strong combination of character and competency, uh, that'll really help build trust over the long haul. I love that duality of those components of trust, Jimbo, because I, I think um, – Sometimes we're, we're going to be stronger in one of those areas than the other, obviously. Right? Mm-hmm. But both of those, both of those areas, in terms of your leadership, building trust, character, and competency, are are vitally important because you may have the character and people may love you, but you're not leading them anywhere, right? Or the way that you're leading them is creating questions, and and you're nice, or you're let's say you're you're a good shepherd. But when it comes to the hard decisions and the crises, you, you don't have the skill and the competency to lead them. Or you could be on the other side. You could always be making the right calls. You could be saying the right things, but you could be doing so without really coming across like a, a loving person or a caring person. And so there's a blend there that I think that pastors are called to, to have both of those re- and realizing that they're going to be strong in one and maybe deficient in another in some respects. But then also, here's the beauty, and I'm so glad to hear, Christopher, that you have a you have a co-elder that's there with you. And my encouragement to you is as you're as you're leading there and as you're shepherding there, as other men uh, come to the, the work there and a part of the church, if you're raising up multiple elders, then you're going to have a stronger team overall that are going to be able to demonstrate character and competency as an entire group. And, uh, and so I think that's vitally important as well. Absolutely. Man, just to recap a little bit of it, and then I'd love to hear anything else you want to add or, or clarify, Chris, on the end there. It's kind of a recap. We know that this is going to go slow, uh, like the wisdom that you've received. This, this is going to be a process uh, of building trust. And so spend some time sitting down, listening for the purpose of understanding, uh, so that as you listen to the congregation, you that they feel, not that they feel heard, but they are heard and feel heard uh, and understanding that. And this is one of the things when we listen for understanding about things about the past, it's important to make the distinction that hearing about the things from the past give us explanations of what has happened and why we feel some way, but they do not give us excuses to misbehave or to mistrust or to not have faith. Uh, and so making that distinction for people of going, hey, uh, thank you for helping me. That helps un- helps explain and helps me understand some things. Uh, but we do still have to move forward. And so making sure that while we empathize without villainizing, we are challenging people to move forward and, and not demanding that they trust you right now as much as that they trust the word of God and then be consistent in leading through the word of God so that they can take time to get to know you and trust you, but we can go ahead and jump now on some things knowing, and I love what you talked about with the life together and life with Christ. I mean, we can jump now into that, right? We know that the word of God calls us to that. So you don't have to trust me for us to take that step. We just need to trust and obey the word of God in order to take those steps. Encourage them to trust God in his word, be patient, pastor them through their pain, pastor them through their hurt, and know that trust is built 
by consist by a consistent display of your character and competency. Chris, is that helpful? Are there any last thoughts you want to share uh, in regard to the, some of the things that we've said? No, guys, you've been really uh, you've been really helpful, and you know I appreciate you know, and I just want to encourage you know the pastors listening to this, like you know we're we're in this together, and you know we're in this for Christ, and you know Christ ultimately. You know, we know this, but he is our head. And, you know, what I want to encourage everybody to do, and even myself at times, is in my congregation, I preach this all the time, is always enter into the prayer closet. Because we can talk all day long, but until we enter into the prayer closet, none of this matters. So that would be my encouragement for pastors. And I just appreciate you guys and your encouragement. Let me come on here as a one. I'm a fan. I just uh, text you all a question. And you say, hey, come on the show. And I said, you know, I was like a kid in a candy shop. Oh, really? I get to meet Jimbo and Bob. Okay, yeah, why not? But uh, no, I appreciate you guys, and uh, you know, I'm praying for you, and and your work is a real edification to me, and I'm sure many others listening to you guys. Man, we're glad to have you. Thanks for taking the time to come on with us, and thanks for sending us a question. Yeah, thank you, guys. Listeners, we'd love uh, to do the same with you. And so if you've got questions, you can, through our website, you can text us, you can email us, contact us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever way works best for you. We've got all those channels of communication open, and we'd love to serve you as you serve out there as boots on the ground. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.